The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. I would say that largely the impact is a positive one. I feel that our duty as, as policymakers is also to pass this message to our societies that we don't need to panic, we don't need to run to the woods afraid of the Terminator or, or Skynet. We're not there. That was Dragos Tudorash, a member of the European Parliament and former chair of the Special Committee on Artificial Intelligence in a Digital Age, talking about regulating AI. Welcome to the exchange, a conversation with people of interest to business and financial professionals around the world. I'm Karen Kwok, a columnist at Reuters Breaking Views, the global financial commentary arm of Reuters News, and I'm coming to you from London. For this week's episode, Tudorash beamed in from Strasbourg. He co-leads the European Union's AI Act, a landmark piece of legislation that was well-received by European politicians but is still waiting for last-minute changes and important details to be hammered out. However, instead of introducing targeted regulation of AI, the EU is proposing rules that classify different AI tools depending on their risk level, which will be the first of its kind. Have a listen. Hi, Dragos. You're very welcome to the exchange, and thanks for joining me today. So, artificial intelligence is striking fear into the hearts of many workers and governments because there's a possibility that the technology can replace certain jobs. I mean, even journalists could be one as well. And in recent weeks, we have seen like OpenAI founder Sam Altman came out and talked about the danger of AI. And you are part of the European effort to regulate the technology, actually. What stage do you think the market is in at the moment? And do you think Given what we've seen from the likes of ChatGPT can do, are we too late trying to regulate it? Well, I don't think we are too late. I think the timing is just about right to put guardrails in place. And, and uh, since AI is not a new technology, it's something that has been around us for, for quite some time. But I think the impact that this technology does have on us as individuals and our societies is something that <clears throat> started to be felt over the last year or two years. So I think that it was important also to understand well what this impact is, to understand what the main concerns that we need to address with safeguards, with guardrails, as some call them, need to be before committing pen to paper. So that's why I think the timing, at least on the European Union side, timing is right. I'm more concerned with jurisdictions in other like-minded democracies that are still taking their time deciding whether it is right or not to regulate. But again, on the European Union side, I think the timing is, 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 is right. So when did Europe start thinking about regulating AI? Well, <clears throat> there was a first attempt already in the previous uh, political cycle, in the previous mandate. There was uh, thinking and, and concerns started to, to uh, amass, and there was a high-level expert group that the Commission, European Commission has put together to start preparing what was the first attempt to capture guidelines and, and principles about how AI should develop. And, and that uh, high-level expert group did write up a set of principles that were also very much aligned with similar efforts that were being done in other multilateral fora, such as OECD or UNESCO. 
But then at the start of this mandate, from the very first inaugural speech of Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, the Commission announced that in this mandate there will be uh, legislation on artificial intelligence. And in fact, the Commission back in 2019 announced that it's going to put forward this legislation in the first 100 days. And that's when we as co-legislators in the Parliament drew a first alarm bell, let's say, uh, by saying that maybe the first 100 days was too, too quick because we needed to comprehend well what it is that we would be regulating and also to give chance for as broad as a consultation as possible with stakeholders <clears throat> out there. And that's what the Commission did. It started mm -hmm. with probably, you know, with a white paper which they, uh, which they launched in early 2020. A white paper which, which triggered actually quite a large reaction from stakeholders in all directions, from industry, from academia, from civil society, and I think rightly so. And that when it became evident that indeed there is a, a profound impact, a profound concern uh, in many corners of our societies and economies and that we needed to, to, to get this right. And then mm -hmm. after that, there was the actual proposal that came out in 2021. And since then, we started working on it and, and we're still hard at work trying to, to finalize the negotiation process. Mm. And as I know, like um, the technology is changing rapidly every single day. And, and I, as I understand it, like the Europe approach, it's a very different approach. It's depending on like a risk level approach. So do you mind to like break it down for us, the basic mechanism of the European Union AI Act? I think it is indeed very important to understand how we are looking at this because we're not looking at the at regulating the technology itself because that would be I think wrong as an approach and as you said yourself technology is something that constantly shifts particularly this kind of technology so trying to put your finger on the actual technology I think would be wrong so what we're doing with this legislation is we're looking at the uses at the applications of this technology and whether in using, in, in putting this technology to work, uh, we are creating risks. So uh, again, first important element to understand is that we are looking at the uses of the technology and not of the technology itself. And second, that this is a risk-based approach. And with this approach, we are also trying to balance out the need, the objective of protecting our rights, protecting the interests and the values in our society, while at the same time not putting unnecessary barriers to innovation, to growth, to the development of a technology that otherwise has a very positive impact on, on our ways of life, on our economies, and therefore we also need to create the space for, for innovation and, and the uh, growth of the technology. So by looking only at those applications that are likely to cause risk and to focus the compliance, the requirements, uh, only on those, we are leaving the broad base of, of AI development uh, free of regulation, which is what it should be. So that's how we're looking at it. And, and we have uh, certain applications of AI where we think that they are so detrimental to our values, to our human rights and, and, and liberties that we uh, would simply prohibit them. So there will be bans that will be in our legislation. And then there will be uh, certain categories of applications of use cases of AI that would be considered high risk. Um, and for those, uh, that would not be bad AI, but for those uh, high risk categories, there will be 
requirements, certain compliance uh, processes that a developer or a deployer of such technology would have to go through before and also while the product or the service uh, is on the market. So that's that's the, the approach we take. And from the echoes that we've received from stakeholders left and right, from, from industry to, to civil society, this is an approach that seems to be rather consensual um, and even industry itself, which normally would be the, the, the subject of the law, understands and, and recognizes that this is, uh, at this point in time at least, this is the, the best way to put guardrails in place for the development of, of AI. I see, I see. So, but what are the risks? Like, what would qualify as high risk or low risk? How do you qualify it? Well, we're looking at the risks to, uh, again, to, to our rights, uh, whether it's it's health, whether uh, it's our privacy. Um, and, and I think that if we are following what has been <laughs> going on over the last couple of months with the rollout of, of technologies and the impact that they have on our lives, I think some of these risks are evident. They, they range from, from biased results that can, can, can come out of the of AI algorithms used in sectors where, again, uh, our rights as individuals are important. Um, I can give many examples from, from credit assessments uh, in a bank or the assessments of the level of insurance that you could get or AI that is being used in education or in, in the workplace to uh, qualify uh, workers in, in some categories or others or to assess performance. So all of these things uh, are applications that are right now captured in the list of applications susceptible to raise high risk. I say susceptible because we have uh, changed the initial approach that the Commission had put in its regulation where the mere fact that you were with your application in one of these categories, you would have automatically been considered as high risk and therefore you'd have been required to ensure compliance. Uh, in our work in Parliament, we have introduced a filter, um, a threshold where we say uh, it's not enough to be with your application, to develop an application in one of these categories of risk. You would also have to actually, uh, you, you, you assess yourself whether you actually are raising any concrete risks with your application, because if you don't, uh, then uh, you could also um, not need to, to go through the, through the compliance mechanism and we're doing that in order to again not put artificial barriers automatic barriers uh, on some uh, applications that although they might be in the area of education as I said or in the area of banking or insurance or education or uh, workplace and, and, and recruitment uh, but again um, it does not raise any risk it does not impact on our rights as, as candidates in the recruitment process or as applicants for a credit in a bank so on and so forth, and therefore you would need to to um, to go through compliance. So uh, again, we've tried to bring this balance uh, between uh, recognizing these risks and addressing these risks when they actually occur, when they actually occur, and not only potentially. Uh, and uh, again, uh, leave room for uh, developers of AI to continue to be creative, to continue to put products on the market free of, of compliance if uh, if the applications don't raise risks. It seems like filtering out like the risk and trying to assess it requires quite a lot of work. So will we see a new body being formed to enforce the law? 
Well, we we doing we uh, we have conceived the uh, enforcement mechanism and the implementation, let's say, mechanism on two levels. On one hand, there will be national regulators in each of the member states because we also consider important to have proximity between the regulators and the subjects of the law, in a way, uh, both those that would be developing and, and putting products on the market, but also those that would be uh, potentially suffering the impact or the effects of those products. So having a regulator closer to, uh, to the ground is something that we believe important and therefore let's say there is a first level of enforcement that will be at national level. But we also recognizing that certain applications of AI might have a, a cross-border effect that is so uh, important, um, either because it touches upon uh, a large uh, portion of the EU population, but also because it impacts several member states at the same time. And, and for those kind of situations, we're also envisaging a European uh, enforcement mechanism with the European Commission and a specially designed AI office and AI board that would intervene to both ensure coherence and implementation when that coherence is necessary because regulators in, in, in several member states might have different understandings and different ways of, of looking at the, at the law, but at the same time to also again intervene in those cases where there is a widespread infringement, something that touches upon uh, Europeans um, uh, from several member states and have some threshold that would trigger this enforcement at the European level. Um, it's also uh, important, and this is why we've created also this, this European level uh, implementation, it's also important to, to bring reality checks closer to where the decisions are made in a structural way. What, what do I mean by that? One thing that we're doing with this legislation is also to encourage the development of sandboxes across the Union. Sandboxes that would be places for, for safe trial and error, if I would call it that way. Places where the developers, particularly the, the smaller, the startups, the smaller enterprises could interact directly with the regulator and, and be able to test and be able to achieve compliance in a safe way. And, and in that manner, we're also trying to balance out, create an even a level playing field between smaller and bigger actors in the market. And then we also recognize that with the spread of these sandboxes, there will be an important need to collect all of the feedback, to collect all of the lessons learned from that interaction between national regulators and, and, and developers in one place where we can then use those, those uh, lessons learned, use that information, use that feedback to then adapt legislation. And that's an important element to understand. Uh, this legislation will not be fixed. I get this question many times. How can we make sure that the rules that we write today will still be valid two years from now with the technology that develops so quickly? And that is one part of the answer. We have deliberately maintained certain parts, particularly those that, that deal with more the, the technical description of some of the applications that would be subject of the law. We're putting them in parts of the legislation that would be easier to adapt as the technology evolves. But when adapting it, you'll need that reality check. You'll need to bring whatever actually happens on the ground, again, closer to those that make decisions. And that's why uh, we have this governance that also, that also contains this, this, European, this European office and, and this European level of, of enforcement.
Yeah, there just seems to be involved a lot of discussion between different stakeholders. So do you think there's also a need then for Europe to cooperate with global powers as well? Because obviously countries like US is taking a different approach in terms of regulating AI. Absolutely. I think, and I'm, I'm, I've said it all the time, uh, I think that with this legislation, we should not count on the famous Brussels effect alone. Yes, that will play out, I think, inevitably, since we will be the first ones to, to write up such rules. I think they will be, uh, again, inevitably an inspiration for other jurisdictions to, to look into what we've done and maybe take all or parts of, of the approach that we've used uh, to also do their own rules, whether at the level of a law or principles or whatever fits in the in the respective uh, legal tradition of that jurisdiction. But again, I think with this topic, with AI becoming such an important structural challenge, I think, in terms of uh, putting the, uh, the right time, the right rules in place to make sure that it develops in a way that, that supports and, and, and powers up our economies and societies and does not produce risks that become too, too hard to manage, too hard to handle. Uh, it is therefore important to strive for this sort of global convergence to instill almost a reflex of looking at what other like-minded partners are doing to make sure that we all advance uh, more or less at the same pace while recognizing that there will be diversity in the normative approaches that we take. And this has been something that we have done, particularly on the transatlantic side of things with the TTC, uh, the Trade and Technology Council, AI has been from the very beginning uh, one of the top priorities and there has been quite an intense dialogue uh, on the EU-US side in, in how we look at standards on AI, what are the common challenges, the common concerns that we have. And this has also happened not only bilaterally with the US but with other uh, like-minded democracies out there with, with Japan, with India, there is a TTC ongoing, Canada with, with uh, Australia and so on and so forth. And, and again, we need to look at this because it is a global challenge. We need to look and strive for, for at least agreeing uh, on the global uh, level uh, uh, governance, an interoperable governance between democracies so that we have a similar approach to how we look at, at, at this technology. Again, even if we might be at different speeds in approaching or, or adopting legislation. And then there's another floor, which is the floor of technical standards, where we can also cooperate. So if we align on values and principles and we also align on standards, the fact that we, we may have different speeds in adopting legislation would have less of, a, of, a, of an impact. And I think we owe it both to our societies, to our citizens, both CEOs, we also owe it to our industry out there, no matter where they may be, whether in the US or Europe or, or Japan uh, or South Korea, uh, because again, I think they will also be benefiting from uh, convergence in terms of the rules and the principles that would be applied to uh, AI uses and, and to AI technology. So I am, I, at least I am personally a very fervent advocate of, of such convergence. You mentioned that I chaired the, the special committee on artificial intelligence in the parliament. One of the first things that we've done was to reach out to other legislators uh, out there on the, on the global stage because we believe very much in the need to, to again, join forces and come up with a coherent approach.
also, do you think there are parallels with AI and social media? Because social media has caused a lot of harm in the past and global regulator seems unable to tame it. Like, could AI be the same? I think it does. I think we, we, we looked at social media and we kind of ignore signals that were coming, in fact, from society for quite some time, that at some point there would be such an impact of social media on the cohesion of societies, on the very fabric of our democracies, that it might then become too late to try to, to put rules into place. So we've been in a pioneering mode for years and years on this, and I think now we're seeing how much disinformation and, and, and fake news and, and all that affects us. Um, and um, I think, well, at least on the European uh, Union side, uh, we are also trying to address that with other instruments, not necessarily with, uh, with the AI Act, but with the Digital Services Act, which does introduce, for the first time, I think, at the global level, it introduces the idea of responsibility for the content that the platform would, would host, a responsibility uh, that, again, one might say comes in too late, but it's good at least that we have it. I would wish that a similar approach would be taken by other jurisdictions as well, so that we are calling upon those platforms, uh, particularly social media, to assume responsibility, to try and do their utmost, not only based on self-discipline and, and self-righteousness, but also on, on the basis of a structured set of, of standards and obligations and, and, and requirements. And I think that also helps them in knowing exactly what they have to do. They will also have to look at, at structural risks that, uh, that their algorithms and the way uh, they choose to optimize and multiply certain kind of, of messages and content, uh, how these algorithms work. And then again, if there are structural risks that come out of uh, the way those algorithms are designed, then uh, those risks would have to be addressed. So this is why the DSA is such an important tool for social media uh, um, regulation. And I think now with the AI Act, um, we are also, it's, it's a complementary tool in a way uh, to that. And I do think that uh, looking at, at uh, the absence of reaction for uh, a long period on social media, this is the right time, as I said also at the beginning, this is the right time to put the, the necessary safeguards in place for how AI technology will also evolve. And what are the sort of stages at the, of this process of the AI ad? When will we see it being adopted? Uh, we had the first important step in Parliament, which was the vote in the two committees that have been jointly responsible for the negotiations, the preparations of this file. I am the uh, co-rapporteur on behalf of one of these two committees, and it was a positive vote. So uh, the first step was a successful one. So as of this morning, we have the support of the two committees. Now the next step and the final one, as far as the position of the parliament is concerned, is going to be at the plenary session in June, when the whole parliament will be voting on the text. Assuming that that vote will also be a, a, a positive one, um, and I'm confident uh, that it, it will be the case. That then opens up for the final stage in the process, which is the negotiation with the other co-legislator in the EU system, which is the Council, with a rotating presidency of the Council, which will be, as the 1st of July, will be Spain. So with the Spanish presidency of the Council, we will start what are called trilogues, uh, which are negotiations uh, between the Parliament and, and the Council, and, and also with the help of the European Commission. And I anticipate those negotiations to, to take until 
uh, roughly the end of the year, or at least that's the calendar that we have agreed uh, with the Council, with the Spanish Presidency. So, if all things go well in this negotiation uh, and we manage to, to uh, bridge the necessary divides that right now we have between the position of the Council and the Parliament, but I'm kind of confident that we can bridge them, and then by the end of the year we'll have it adopted. Well, that's really quick. And when it comes to like the voting on the text, uh, do you mean like how do you find a company if they breach some kind of regulations on the risk level? Is that what you're looking for? The, the, the voting is on the whole text. The text is, is very complex, uh, comprehensive. It, it doesn't have only the fines. Of course, the enforcement is, is one part of it, but it actually contains, uh, again, all the definitions, the, the scope of application the categorization of, of different applications of AI, either in the prohibited part or in the high risk or, or lower risk. Then we have a dedicated provision on, on generative AI, uh, the famous generative AI that, that has been dominating the news for the last couple of months. Then we have the, the compliance mechanisms, so all of the requirements from, from data governance and data accuracy and, and documentation and all of the requirements that the developer of a high, high risk AI system would have to go through. And then the governance, and which contains, um, again, the way the implementation of the, of the law will be done. And then, as you, since you mentioned the word fines, of course, we also have the enforcement mechanism that includes uh, what is the interaction between the regulator and the developer or deployer of AI that would circumvent uh, or, or break the rules. And there, indeed, the, the powers of the regulators will, will be uh, quite substantial. Of course, it's a it's a staged process. First, there is a, a dialogue between the regulator and the and the company that might be in breach. Um, an attempt to, to first uh, document uh, the 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 case, uh, request information, request parameters of the algorithm from the developer or the deployer of AI, so that the regulator will understand exactly what the reality is, what the impact is, and then if a violation is found, then um, the sanctions can go from from uh, stopping uh, the application, from withdrawing the application uh, from the market, but also quite substantial fines that can go up to 7% uh, of, the, of the business. So uh, I think this legislation will have the necessary teeth to ensure compliance. Amazing. Well, finally, I just wondering, out of curiosity, how has AI affected the way things work in the European Union? Again, I said at the very beginning, AI has been around us for, even though many of us have only in a way woken up to this reality now as of late with ChatGPT and, and all the rest of the hype in, our, in, in the media in our societies, but it has been, we've been surrounded already by AI for quite some time. Um, and I would say that largely the impact is a positive one. And that's why I think it's also, and I feel that our duty as, as policymakers is also to pass this message uh, to our societies that we don't need to panic. We don't need to run into the woods uh, afraid of the Terminator or, or Skynet. So uh, again, it, we're not there. Uh, AI is uh, powering up a lot of uh, processes that are helping us. It's helping us in the area of health. It's helping us in optimizing the consumption uh, of our, in, in many of, of critical uh, infrastructure. So uh, again, it does have a very positive impact, but at the same time, it does raise concerns and it does create risks. And, 
and we need to prepare our society for those risks. We need to, to protect our society from those risks, and we have to do it now at a stage when they are not yet that substantial before they do become detrimental. And that's why the, the, the element of timing is very important. Great. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for You're joining welcome. us. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Thomas Shum in Hong Kong. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, The Fuse Room, on Apple Podcasts, Megaphone, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with our latest views and much more on BreakingFuse.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at BreakingFuse. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts.